This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. From the After 9 Podcast Studios, this, this is the award-winning After 9 with Scott and Kat. Powered by Tony Johal, broker at Remax Twin City. Your home sold guaranteed or he'll buy it. Hey now. Hello, friends. Happy hump day to y'all. If you're listening today on Wednesday, the 8th of February, how great is this? Blue skies and sunshine, five degrees. February, February, five degrees, sunshine. It's great outside right now. Uh, tomorrow's going to suck, though. 90 kilometer per hour winds and 25 millimeters of rain. That's why there's a special weather statement in effect. Welcome to After 9, everybody. Let's talk about interest rates for a second here. Uh-oh. Well, yesterday, uh, the Bank of Canada Governor Tiff Macklem did uh, media availability. He was in Quebec, and he got asked a really good question. And I still think that there's a lot of people out there who have seen their payments on their car loans and their credit cards and their mortgage just go through the roof. And I know that they're struggling, but because you don't hear much about it in the news, they kind of thought, oh, well, maybe it's just us. I assure you, it's not just you. A lot of people are feeling it. I don't know why there's no media coverage on how many people are struggling right now, but it's real and it's happening. So let's hear this great question and the response from Tiff Macklem yesterday in Quebec about why interest rates are the way they are. Hi, Mr. Macklem. Um, There's a new survey out today that suggests that Canadians will need $300,000 more than they did two years ago to retire. What is your message to everyday Canadians who feel their purchasing power dwindling and worry that it's going to ultimately affect the retirement and life plans? Our message to Canadians is that uh, the situation with uh, you know, the cost of living, inflation running, uh, you know, it was running 8%, it's now running 6 6 is a lot better than 8 but 6 is still three times our target of 2%. Uh, we have taken forceful action to uh, to control inflation, uh, and our message is it's working. Uh, inflation is turning the corner. We are very conscious we still have a long way to go, uh, but we are seeing uh, the interest rate increases we've already put in place working their way through the economy. Uh, we expect they will continue to work through their economy. Our forecast is that inflation actually by the middle uh, around the middle of this year will be about 3%. Uh, that isn't all the way back to 2. Our job will be done when we get to 2, but 3, you know, three, three is going to be a lot better than 6. So really the message is, um, you, know, we, we, you know, we've taken forceful action. We are determined to get inflation back to our target. That's what Canadians expect to us, from us, uh, and that's what we're determined to do. I can't imagine a more disconnected official Saying something like that, I, I can't, I just, here's the problem. Inflation got out of control because we printed too much money. I think everybody understands that. You've heard it. There was a lot of denying it at first, but now even the prime minister himself will acknowledge that that's the reason that we're in the situation that we're in. And inflation was very, very high 
around 8%. Now, they've raised interest rates eight consecutive times. They said they would press pause, but yesterday, Macklem did go on in French and say that he's probably, uh, he may have to raise them again and continue to raise them until he gets his target inflation back down to 2%. The problem is, is that they cherry pick a lot of different numbers, like uh, uh, they'll say, oh, well, gas is down, and that's part of the reason that inflation's down. But it's not changing grocery prices, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that's the part of inflation that's having the biggest impact on people, isn't it? The grocery store? No, oh, that's the one I hear about the most, for, for sure. That's at like 10%, 12%. I mean, really mm-hmm. what he's done in raising these interest rates has not had an impact on inflation, not the inflation that everyday people deal with anyway, maybe in the manufacturing industry or supply chains, but it certainly hasn't for what people deal with every single day. It just hasn't worked. So he's just going to keep on raising interest rates. And and what's particularly shocking about this is he is completely avoiding the question about what are Canadians supposed to do? They estimate you'll need an extra $300,000 saved now for your retirement because of everything that's going on right now with the Bank of Canada. An extra 300 k Tiff says the economy is still overheated, and I truly don't know how he can continue to say that. He says inflation will go from 6 to 3 by the middle of this year, but he's not saying why. The reason is because everybody is going to be completely broke. We've been in a recession for a while, and he won't acknowledge that, but people don't have any disposable income anymore. It really is a shame what's going on. But let's look at some of the new stats. This came out yesterday. The Office of the Superintendency of Bankruptcy in Canada says bankruptcies and bankruptcy proposals filed by businesses went up 37% last year. 3,400 businesses in Canada had to go bankrupt. They say the losses were led by the hospitality sector and the construction industry. The federal regulator says there were 24,586 consumer bankruptcies last year. Those are regular people. Almost 25,000 people filed for bankruptcy. Insolvencies up 11%. Bankruptcy proposals rose to 75,598. You have 75,000 people last year filed bankruptcy, 3,500 businesses filed for bankruptcy. How how have they not acknowledged that? I don't understand. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming compared to the normal numbers, they would be low. It's, or, sorry, high, yeah, correct? Yeah, I mean, that's way, way higher. Okay. Meanwhile, a new Leger poll finds only 9%, less than 1 in 10 Canadians say their financial situation has improved in the last year. One-third of households say they're financially worse off than they were a year ago, and that's namely because so many people in Quebec said that their financial situation has gotten better. B.C. residents were the most likely to say things have deteriorated. Ontario was sort of right in the middle of that. Things are bad, and there's just no acknowledgement at all from the Bank of Canada about how much people are suffering, and the government tiptoes around this. Now, they say that inflation is high because of the war in Ukraine and it it has to do with uh, supply chains and things like that. But they swear it's not companies making excessive profits. They swear that's not what it is. Another gas company came out yesterday with their profits. British energy giant BP says last year their profit jumped from $12.8 billion in 2021 to $27.7 billion in 2022. Hmm. 
two and a half times the profit in one year from 13 billion to 28 billion dollars in one year. And by the way, gas prices went up again overnight, three cents to a dollar 43.9 on average. I, uh, I, I'm honestly at a loss. I just can't understand why no one is acknowledging how much people are suffering and offering solutions. I mean, you heard that audio from Tiff and it doesn't seem like he gives a shit about people. He doesn't care. All he cares about is getting inflation back down to 2% and he swears that what he's doing is helping, but there's no evidence that it's helping. They don't talk about job losses, but every single day, thousands and thousands and thousands of people are losing their jobs. It's beyond me that that doesn't get acknowledged. They say our employment numbers are the lowest they've ever been, but I'm wondering, how do they calculate the employment numbers then? It was Google one day, Microsoft the day before. Every single day, big tech companies are laying off thousands of people, smart people, losing their jobs and good paying jobs too. I have a theory, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, that part of the reason that the employment numbers are so high and the unemployment numbers are so low is a lot of people took a job because they were easy to get and they're very disposable jobs. Most of them were in the, the hospitality industry and so on and so forth. You don't need advanced training or anything like that for it. And, and I think that people took a second job too. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of people that are either working a second job or took on a side hustle just to try and hang on to their home or be able to afford their rent. He didn't even talk about rent. Look what's going on there. All these homes have got devalued and the prices still went up for everybody. And literally the only people making money here are the banks and not even the Bank of Canada because it's losing billions. Does he take uh, questions, by the way, whenever he does these little spiels and things like that? Only there any questions? Only from hand-selected media. Okay. Do they ever ask the tough questions, the hand-selected media? Like, I I don't know. I thought that was an okay question. Uh, Let's hear just one more uh, from Tiff. Our own forecast is that growth is going to be uh, roughly zero for the next two or three quarters. What that means is over that period, the economy supply will catch up with with demand in the economy and the economy will move from clearly being in excess demand to some modest excess supply. That should relieve those uh, price pressures. Um, But look, I I won't... um, Look, I'm not going to pretend that there isn't uh, more uncertainty about, about that aspect of our projection. Uh, we're trying to balance the risks of over and under tightening. We've, we've, in, in, we've raised interest rates uh, very rapidly um, from a quarter of a percent to four and a half percent. We know there are lags in the effects of monetary policy. Uh, we're certainly starting to see the effects, but we know that there's more to come. And we're trying to balance the risks of, of over and under tightening. Um, if, you know, if those upside risks materialize, if service price inflation doesn't come down, uh, if inflation expectations don't, don't, uh, come down, uh, we, we are certainly prepared, uh, to raise interest rates further. Um, we are determined to get back, uh, to our 2% target, but we don't want to make this more painful. Uh, we don't want to make this more difficult than it has to be. You're a total piece of shit. Tiff Macklem is just the scum of the earth to fuck the families, fuck everybody. We'll do 2% come hell nor high water. And if we have to send the entire housing market into into foreclosure, we will, but we'll be able to say we got it back to 2%. That's basically what he's saying. And he doesn't care about you and he doesn't care about your family or the fact that you're going to lose your home. He just doesn't give a shit. All he cares about is 2%. That was his job. 
he completely shit the bed for years, and that's why it got as high as it did. Now he's racing to cover up his own mistake. That's the Coles notes on what you need to know about Tiff Macklem. He's just just filthy scum, cat. I I can't think of a worse possible person to be running the Bank of Canada, and he's lost money. He's the first one in history to lose money running the Bank of Canada. And he says it's a good thing when uh, the economy slows. I just don't know how anyone with a straight face could say it's a good thing when our economy slows. It's crazy to me. Mm -hmm. Anyway, let's switch gears here and and get to something a little bit different. If you're struggling, rewind that part, listen to it again. You'll just hear that just vitriol coming out of Tiff Macklem's mouth. It was gross. Kat, they say that if you are going on vacation, and a lot of people are, you should avoid the hot tub when you're staying at the hotel. You don't say Really? I- Wait, like, so, okay, so jacuzzi, I assume, counts in this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a Japanese, okay, the last time I booked something, which is coming up still, I got a Japanese soaking tub, and I don't even know what that is, but that just sounded cool. I assume that that counts? I assume it would, yeah. Any tub of any kind. Here's the thing. I have a hot tub, I love my hot tub, but I'm also very, very meticulous about my hot tub and that I keep all the chemicals balanced exactly the way I like them. I check the water regularly, I put it through rinse and all kinds of different cycles just to make sure that that water is perfect for myself or anybody else who happens to get into it. Mm -hmm. Well, they analyzed what comes out of a hot tub again, and they used a couple of different hotels this time. Those are, of course, communal hot tubs. It's not that nice one that you've got in your backyard (laughs) or that your buddy's got. This is one that literally anybody could go into that's staying at the hotel. Here's what they found. Number one, there's definitely poop in there. (laughs) If you're wondering it, it's true. The average person has around 100 milligrams of it hanging out between their cheeks at any given time. That's the average person. That's only around a 50th of a teaspoon. But if 50 people have used the hotel jacuzzi that day, you do the math. It's not just getting on your skin. You could even swallow it without even Ew, knowing it. Ew, stop. You breathe it in because it creates condensation oh, and the, it evaporates. Oh, right. I always wondered, because this is what I would do in the jacuzzi. Have I used a jacuzzi at a hotel room? Of course I have. Of course I have. But what I would do is, because it kind of freaks me out to know like what's lingering in the pipes, right? Because when you think about a jacuzzi tub or a hot tub for that matter, there's pipes that run all throughout it. I think people understand how that works so that it blows the, <laughs> blows the water back out. So when you shut it off, when you shut the jets off, I'm thinking there's water lingering through there still, right? From the last tub shenanigan, whatever happened. So for me, what I'll usually do is, and does this help? I don't know. Does it make me feel better? A little bit. But I'll fill up the tub up to that jet point. I will run it. I'm not getting in it. I'm just running it. And I let it run and I let it run and I let it run. And then I drain it completely. And then I fill it back up and that's the tub that I use. In my mind, I think that maybe all the leftover remnants of whatever the fuck happened in that jacuzzi before I got there are gone down the drain and now I can use it for myself. Again, it makes me feel better. Does it work? I don't know. I don't know either. Okay, well, let, let's... I can tell you some shit's been in those pipes, though. Oh, I can tell you that much. percent I think Kat, people understand I mean, that. I think everybody knows that hotels are not exactly the most sanitary place. But uh, whatever we can secrete from our body has been through the pipes. Yeah, basically. They also found viruses, funguses and bacteria love hot tubs. The temperature makes them perfect breeding grounds for things like E. coli, staph and bacteria that can cause things like Legionnaire's disease. 
They also point out people are gross. One of the main reasons hotel hot tubs are disgusting is because people don't practice very good hygiene. And the chances that they showered right before they got in are very slim. By the way, just as a courtesy, if you're going to use the hotel pool or the hotel hot tub, please fucking clean up first. Yeah, that's why they always that's why they have those showers available before you jump in the pool. You know, and there's always a sign, right? Like, come on, rinse off before you go in. Does the rinse off really work though? I mean, I'm thinking Somewhat. about I'm thinking about the stuff that's like in the cracks and crevices. That ain't coming out with a quick rinse. No, but you can at least get some of it some, off of you. Maybe. They say hotels don't clean them enough. In general, the water in hot tubs is supposed to be changed out once every three to six months. I'm going to say that it should be every three to four months. Uh, A lot of hotels don't use enough chemicals to keep them clean, and they don't change the water that often. And then they also point out the chemicals themselves are bad for you. While they do kill germs, they're also toxic. So experts say limit yourself to a 15-minute dip, especially kids and pregnant women. Two common issues are skin irritation and stinging eyes. Uh Speaking of irritated eyes, that's usually caused by chloramine. A chemical created when chlorine mixes with urine and other bodily fluids. It smells a little like bleach. So if the hotel jacuzzi has a strong bleach smell, they say it doesn't necessarily mean it's clean. It means someone took a piss in there. (laughs) Not surprising, though, but that's why they say, right? I mean, we've had these conversations before about like the all inclusives that have the swim up bar to them. Yeah. You got to be careful there because there's people who sit at the swim up bar and they don't get up all day. Where do you think they're pissing? Right there. Right there where you're swimming. But people are so fucking dumb. They think that if they pee in their bathing suit, it stays in their bathing suit. They're not just filling the pool full of pee. They think it like gets filtered or strained or something when it goes through the bathing suit. Don't want to believe that people are that stupid. One thing I'll note too about the like the shared hot tub at a hotel. This happened to me the last time I was at. Maybe it was the time before. Anyway, whatever. Recently, when I went to a hotel, I, I, I did. I, I went ahead and I sat in the hot tub because I thought, you know what? This is nice. And then someone came in and sat like right across from me. And I know that there wasn't like a limit on people or anything. It didn't say only one person in the hot tub. But when someone's like sitting there alone, if it's not a big hot tub, can we agree like maybe we can wait, like go for a swim first until they're done? Like unless they're taking an obnoxious amount of time in that hot tub. It's kind of weird. Has that happened to you before? It's happened to me. I actually like the conversation most of the time. Uh, if you're a man. It, Maybe that's the difference. If I'm soaking in the tub, I've usually got a six pack beside me because that's what I do at a hotel. I just fill up the ice bucket. I load a couple of beers in there. And you bring it to like the hotel, like main, I'm talking about the main areas, like not a jacuzzi tub. Uh, no, no. I would bring it to like the hot tub. Yeah. So if I'm going to sit in the hot tub, I'll bring down a six pack. And if somebody wants to chat, I- I'm okay with it. Hopefully it's somebody fun or hot at least. I... It, the people who just come and want to soak, you're good too if you're quiet. It's just, I don't like kids. If you want to let your kids run loose in the hot tub, I'm getting the hell out of there. And it's there probably going to be a one less star review that I leave that hotel. Interesting. Uh, it's not for me. Super you got to go at different times, maybe. Maybe I do, yeah. Or stay at more expensive hotels. Or stay at the <laughs> hotels where there's not a lot of families. Uh, Multiple booze brands will be advertising on the Super Bowl this year. Anheuser-Busch has given up their exclusivity as an alcohol sponsor on the big game after 30 years. That's a long time to be the only alcohol 
advertiser for the Super Bowl. I didn't realize it was that long. Neither did I. And I'm wondering how much of a premium they had to pay to be exclusive. But when you think back to, to all like the Budweiser specific spots, and I know that's a company that has many, many different commercials or, or brands, I'm sorry, under it. But when I think back to all the Budweiser spots, though, that they've had through the Super Bowls through the years, I like, remember the puppies and shit like that. Yeah. Like that was memorable stuff, though. I mean, they used it to their advantage, I think. Well, now we're going to see ads this year for Molson Coors, Heineken, Remy Martin, Crown Royal, and more. Cool. Advertisers are paying up to $7 million for a 30-second commercial. Are any of the um, celebrity alcohol brands in there? They know like Terramanas or Ciroc's or any of that shit? Okay, that's a great question. They didn't release the whole lineup. They just did some highlights. And and these are four big brands. I mean, Crown Royal, Molson Coors. And Huge. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Heineken, yeah, yeah, yeah. of course. Understandable they'd spend that much on a spot. Sure. Absolutely. I'm just wondering if that's really the best value for, for your marketing dollar. I mean, sure, a lot of eyes are going to see it, but it's only on for 30 seconds. 30 seconds. What is it they say about advertising? That repetition is key. People have got to hear the message and hear the message and hear the message continuously for it to absorb. I don't know if you're really getting good value for $7 million. You got to get on the gimmicky train if you're going to do it. That's what I think. Like if I was um, Heineken, for example, and I ran the show at Heineken, I'm not putting an average any old Heineken commercial that we've ran. Like, oh yeah, just throw that 30 seconder in there. That fits great. You got to go above and beyond. And that's why, I mean, when you name these prices, that does not include, that's airtime only. That does not include the production value, the amount of money that they paid. And by the way, for actors and actresses who are specifically in Super Bowl commercial, I'm not, I'm talking non-celebrity, they get paid a premium. Voiceover artists who are involved in Super Bowl commercials get paid a very good premium to be in those spots. So those companies aren't just paying that amount. They're paying millions more over and above the airtime for it. But I feel like if you're going all in on it, yeah, you got to make it memorable. That's why people like uh, Uber One, for example. Uber has hired Diddy and a, and a few other people to be a part of their Super Bowl ad. That's why you have, you know, the return of Walter White and Jesse in the ad for Poppables uh, for Frito-Lay. That's why you have all of these celebrities being a part of these commercials because it needs to be memorable. And they're not just going to get that content for the Super Bowl alone, though, just for what you mentioned for the 30 seconds. That's not it either. Do you know how many views those get on YouTube? Looking back, you make a shit ton of money on people looking at it on YouTube, especially in Canada, where we don't get a lot of those and people don't understand how to view a lot of the American spots. They make hella coin on YouTube, putting them on there because they get millions and millions and millions of views, especially if you use that celebrity. So I disagree. I think that there's smart ways to do it. But I also think if you're putting in the money to advertise on the Super Bowl, go all out, get someone good, make it gimmicky, hire whoever you have to hire to make it you know, funny or memorable. It doesn't have to necessarily be funny. But if you make it good enough, then people will want to share with their friends and they're going to click on it and you're going to make money that way too. Two quick notes involving kids before we go, because we're coming up to time here already. Uh, the Ford government has announced that they're going to create 50,000 more affordable childcare spaces in Ontario. That's how many new spaces they say are needed to meet the goal of creating 86,000. Quick math here. We, have, we need 86. That means we need to create 50,000 more? Oh, so we don't really have that many affordable childcare spaces as it is right now. Uh, this is all under the $10 a day childcare program. The province told municipalities the number of spaces they need to create based on a goal of having a ratio of one affordable childcare space for every 2.7 children under the age of five in Ontario.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, the demand went up really, really high when they announced the $10 a day childcare, even though we knew it wasn't going to be into effect until later. All of those spots were taken really quickly. And people tried to book in advance as well. And some some centers, some childcare centers were okay with that. Some weren't. But they already knew the demand is going to far exceed what we have available. Is this just, I'm wondering if this is actually going anywhere. And the reason I ask is because they say we need to create 50,000 new spaces to meet the demand and to meet what they promised. Are there 50,000 early childhood educators going through the system right now that we can just hire to create these new spaces? Or are we talking like within 10 years or within eight years, we can train enough people to do that? This doesn't seem like the kind of thing that's going to be ready in the spring or the summer. Right. I mean, you make a good point on that because early childhood educators, there aren't, uh, I don't think that there are enough of them. And the ones that are there, we're so appreciative for them. They certainly could take a look at what they're making and, and allow them to have a, a, a decent income because a lot of them do not get paid the way that they should get paid. They do not get paid enough. Like, it's actually really sad and it really pisses me off, the fact that they don't make enough money. You know what they deal with on a day-to-day? And, I mean, they're trusted to look after children and they, they do everything from really comforting the, that child, um, looking after them in health and in mental well-being and obviously in education. And they're supposed to put up with all this stuff and, and they do a really great job. A lot of them that are in it, they don't get paid enough. They really don't. It, it really bothers me, actually. So if we're going to drop it down to 10 bucks a day and we're going to hire thousands and thousands and thousands more to meet this demand... Are they also going to get a raise at the same time? They should. I would think that a raise should be job one, and then we expand based on the newer, higher salaries. Uh They should put money into that, and I hope they do. I'll sign any petition that comes my way if anyone knows of one, because they absolutely deserve higher wages. And let's take a look into your future, Kat. If you've got an 11-year-old at home, you've only got one more year before they're your tech support. According to the latest (laughs) numbers, the average kid becomes more tech-savvy than their parents. As of 12 years old, 47% of parents with kids under 18 say their kids are better with tech than they are. It can happen earlier, but 12 is the average. One in seven parents say their kids have even outwitted them before and disabled Mm -hmm. things like parental controls on social media and the parent didn't even realize it. I believe that. I believe that. Kids kids can pick up on a lot of things. They're like sponges. And it's always been that way. But now there's technology at the ready for them in a lot of cases. And if they have the ability to to figure out what settings are on a system, of course they could do that. My, let me tell you something about my five-year-old child, okay? Her older cousins played Minecraft, Minecraft Education Edition. And anyone with an education e- email account, you can log in and play it. I do recommend it. It's good. It's like early coding, right? You learn early coding and doing this, and they have fun great. doing it. Yeah, it's great. I, and I want her to be involved in all that because it's the future too. So I, I, I set up the app, and I was like, okay, I have no idea how to play Minecraft. And I saw my nephew play it, and that's the I, I really don't know anything about it. But I put it on the iPad, and I said, I'll, I'll sit with you, and, and let's figure this out together, sweetie, and let's try to build a home in Minecraft. Scott, she mm-hmm. figured out how to build fucking villages, how to do this and that. She's got an entire world. She knows what she's doing. I still have no fucking idea what I'm doing. She figured it out by herself. Like to a point where she's like, I don't need you. I don't need you here. You're slowing me down. She figured that shit out real quick. I was super impressed. So that's why stuff like that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, she probably will help me with technical stuff one day. It's not just tech. They say two thirds of parents 
say their kids have used words or terms that they've never even heard before. Okay. Yeah. Parents also aren't sure about the favorite apps and websites that their kids use. Only 28% of parents were able to identify what Discord is. Only 11% had ever heard of Be Real, the popular social mm-hmm, media platform. Mm-hmm, we've talked about that. And the list goes on and on and on. So basically, parents are letting their kids drive the bus because the kids know more than they do. And at-, I, at a certain point, that's okay. But there's also safety issues in that. In that, like you, you don't give it to an eleven-year-old child, for example, and be like, "Go on, then." <laughs> right? You're on your own. Yeah, like, we've taught you everything we can. Yeah, like I mean, there's, <laughs> there's got to be some parental control in there, right? Are we agreeing? I agree with you, and I think supervision is key. <laughs> Supervision's key. I also think that there's a bit of pride on the line here, parents. I don't think you should be afraid to want to learn things from your kids just because it's, it's not the traditional parents teaching the kids. Kids can teach us a lot if we just sure. listen. And I think that there's a lot of uh, one-way communication, not enough two-way going on there. But I don't think many kids would be too upset at having to teach their parents what Discord is or teach them how to use chat GPT or anything like that. Yeah, Maybe sure. you should embrace the change. Yeah, and again, I mean, if they if they are able to access parental controls, because that's where the scary stuff can come in, just make sure you are you have that talk with them, right? Have a, the a, talk. A minimum, have the talk. And if not, make sure you're looking in on it, especially when they're at a certain age. Now, once they get up to like 16, 17 years old, they're going to be like, get out of here. Like, get out of my business. But have the talk with them. I just want to stress that because that is so important. Don't just hand over the tablet and be gone because there's shit everywhere, you know? If they stumble on the wrong app, next thing you know, they're watching God knows what and charging your credit card God knows Ah, what too. (laughs) Have yourselves a fantastic hump day, everybody. We'll catch you right back here tomorrow with another episode of After 9. Bye. The U.S. Navy has started to recover parts of the Chinese balloon that was shot down over the Atlantic Ocean. Not only did we find the balloon, all the Navy divers came back speaking in that funny helium voice. (laughs) The first public beach is set to open this summer in Manhattan along the Hudson River. So if you see some beach bodies, there's a good chance they washed up there. (laughs) The Yellowstone series starring Kevin Costner is set to end. Oh. And a spinoff starring Matthew McConaughey could be in the works. Ooh. Yeah, they already have a title for it. It's going to be called Yellowstone. The After 9 Podcast is powered by Tony Johal. Broker at REMAX Twin City. Your home sold guaranteed or he'll buy it.